It is with a single man that error usually commences, and when such a man has influence or position, it is impossible to estimate the evil that will attend it. James P. Boyce Hello everyone, you are listening to A Word Fitly Spoken. I'm Willie Grills here with Zelwyn Heidi. We're going to talk about noticing things and the Southern Baptist Convention today. A little bit of an interesting episode as we close out this season. I'm going to take a very brief break after this episode because Zelwyn needs to go to the prairie and find a wallow and regenerate and rejuvenate himself. <laughs> and so that is where we will be for the next few where he will be. I will just be holding down the fort here in the south in case he needs to you know to make a daring escape from the plains. <laughs> well, Zelwyn, how are you? Well, I'll be going on my vision quest here shortly as as you put it, but uh I'm doing good, Willie. The uh weather is beautiful here and the garden is growing, although it's kind of weird this year because the the plants are only really just now starting to flower, which is kind of a little later than they were last year. And I don't know if it's just because things have been cold or what, but it is what it is. I mean, we got some rain last night. It's great. I mean, God is in his heaven. I can't really argue with anything. What about you, Willie? Well, it is going to be 100 degrees or more every day this week. As we record, it is currently hot. And it is, oh, uh, let's see what we've got on the thermometer here. It's only 97 degrees, so we're doing all right. I did get uh, tobacco put in raised beds this morning, and I think it will grow very well in the weather here. Beautiful. And so, you know, we'll we'll uh, we'll give it a shot. Uh, so, yeah, but uh, it is warm. God is in heaven, and uh, we'll, we'll get through this. So, I can't remember, Willie. Have you ever had success with tobacco in the past? I had very limited tobacco plants that I grew, and so we're going to go more this year just to see. See what happens. Just to see what happens, yeah. I'm I'm fully expecting you to put up a drying barn for your well, now, tobacco. Now we have to, and there are many an old barn around here. I could probably hang it up, but just be finding the tobacco sticks that would be the issue. But I think we could find, I know where to get some. I got the hookup. I got that Eastern Kentucky hookup. So... <laughs> Yeah, uh, so yeah, very very warm here, and uh, we're just we're keeping on. Fourth of July just passed us, so very it's, good it, here in Arkansas. And you had a, a, a good fourth. I mean, lots we of fireworks good, and all. We that. had a good fourth. Lots of people came out. The cookout was good. A lot of familiar and some new faces were out, and well, the fires. There were almost no fires. Uh, almost, almost no fires. <laughs> Let the reader understand. <laughs> But we're doing good. We are good. Good. So, good to hear. But now we've got this interesting subject uh, that we have uh, coming up. And it might sound odd to you. Why are we going to talk about the Southern Baptist Convention? Are we going to talk about the history of Baptists? No, not, not in depth. But we are going to talk about the current state of the Southern Baptist Convention and then talk a little bit about the state of our denomination and others. There's a saying that's common among Lutheranism that like when the Pope sneezes, whatever, Lutherans catch a cold. Right. And I suppose that, yeah, we are influenced a bit by what Rome does, but if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of churches in America, Lutheran churches, depending on the area, but I would say in most areas, are more influenced by the Southern Baptist Convention and broad evangelicalism than they would like to admit, or maybe they would like to admit it. But as these churches go, as the winds blow— uh, Lutheran congregations will be tempted to follow along with those winds if they're not careful. Right. And and so the Southern Baptist Convention has really a very similar polity to ours. Now, it's not quite the same. We're congregational and yet not congregational, but they do work through conventions and bylaws and voting delegates and things like that. Uh, so in that way, the system is is very similar. And what has happened is... The Southern Baptist Convention has chosen to elect people that are rejecting historic Baptist standards. Right, right. And a lot of our maybe less than charitable listeners will go, well, Baptists don't have standards. But they do, and historically they did. Look with the London Baptist Confession of Faith, and today with the Baptist Faith and Message. There is such a thing as a 
quote unquote confessional Baptist out there. Right. And so what you have are Baptists who hold to traditional Baptist doctrine, which, if we're being 100% honest, would be Calvinistic. Right. And Arminianism creeps in in the 19th century. But not all conservative Baptists are Calvinistic, so that's not fair. But historically, they would have been. They believe strongly that the Bible teaches that ordination to the pastoral office is reserved for men. Mm-hmm. They have a. They used to have a very dogmatic view on church government. I mean, they are called Baptist. <laughs> uh, right, right. And implied in Baptist was always a strong emphasis on local church governance. And that is sort of being wiped away a little bit with mega churches and satellite campuses and things like that. Um, they understood the order of creation, and now that is being downplayed a lot in things that they are passing. And so a lot of this is being done because they are the Southern Baptist Convention, and so uh, Yankees want to put guilt on them, and a lot of Southerners are taught to hate themselves. And so because of that, decisions are being made. And uh, and so that's not good either. So we're going to talk a little bit about that and about what it means to um, – you know, be sober-minded, be alert, to be awake, and to see what is going on in broader Christianity around us. That is something that is very important. Because we, as the Luth- as Lutherans and as members of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, will be influenced by these things. And if you're not as a pastor, your members will be influenced by these things. Well, and I think especially if we are honest with ourselves, we cannot afford to just simply ignore these things. Because the, I mean, the Southern Baptist Convention, say of it what you will, being a 16 million member denomination is the largest Protestant denomination in the United States. And Mm -hmm. just as we recognize that, you know, if Rome were to do something that that would probably heavily influence what's going on in the churches around us, we need to recognize that such a large body in America is also going to influence yeah. us whether we want it to or not. Right. It is So Rome is the largest. The Catholic Church is the largest. Right. Followed by the Southern Baptists. United Methodists, somehow still, number three. One day we got to do that conservative Methodism episode. That would be fun. Uh, <laughs> where are the conservative Methodists at? Please give us a shout out uh, if you are listening. We would like to meet you. So uh, the United Methodist Church, fourth, I mean, this is how the United States does statistics, would be the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints with six million and change, right. uh, the Mormons. And then I believe it's the Church of God in Christ, uh, which is a Pentecostal denomination. And are they oneness or not? Are they Trinitarian? Do we not? I, I don't think that they are oneness. I don't think the yeah. oneness Pentecostals are usually very big. Right. Well, there's the UPCI, I think, is used to be pretty... Anyway, I don't know, but you're right. No, they, I'm looking it up. They are Trinitarian holiness. So okay. there we go. So that that those are, those are some biggies. And especially the top two, the Southern Baptist Convention and the Catholic Church are influential. And I would argue the Southern Baptist Convention more in the main um, sure. for, for Americans. The Methodists at one time would have been hugely influential, and their influence is, uh, is gone, uh, largely. Well, especially with their, I mean, their their denomination is essentially disintegrating right now. So yeah, and you know, I mean, Lutherans are going to have influence, but it's predominantly going to be in the Upper Midwest. And Zelwyn, you can tell me what state has the highest percentage of Lutherans? Uh, probably the one I'm in. That's that's correct at thirty five percent, at least in the early two thousands. Well, to be fair, though, the vast majority of those would be ELCA in this state. Yeah, but you've only been there a few years. Yeah, fair. I'll give you that. (laughs) (laughs) So it is a bit of a demographic study, uh, but it's also just a cultural study. America's founded as a Presbyterian nation, and she grew into a Baptist nation. (laughs) So, (laughs) and they're gonna, and you're gonna go, Willie, explain. No, I won't. <laughs> well, I figured you were going to get into some, you know, actual like blood feud right here on the well, right here on the podcast. If you're not engaged in the blood fl- feud, w- are you really an American? <laughs> so, and 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 so to talk about this, what what does this mean, you know, for the future of the church in America? Is it good? Is it bad? Is it somewhere in between? But the fact of the matter is, the Southern Baptist Convention is changing. Will we see a fracture in the Southern Baptist Convention? We don't know for sure, 
but if the Lord tarries, I think it's very possible, especially with this last one. I've seen more rancor, a rancor from this one than I have in any in my lifetime. Sure. And now the one before this, I thought was with the Confederate flag stuff. I thought was, it was kind of the the tip of the iceberg for this, and now it's just gone fully, you know, fully over. So, Zoan, tell us a little bit about what happened at the last convention. Well. Okay, so the Southern Baptist Convention. The last Southern Baptist Convention was held the first part of last month. So, I mean, this is all pretty recent stuff. Uh, That would have been June, just in case there's anyone who's listening later. Um, But basically, what happened is is you have a number of resolutions which were passed in that convention, which are rather troubling. Uh, There's some development in... Southern Baptist churches that we're going to talk about that's also rather troubling. But probably the the biggest thing that happened was the election of a president who's very much in support of these new, uh, more, how do you want to say, I mean, you could just say woke kind of things in the Southern Baptist Convention, things that are going against uh, even their, you know, Baptist faith and practice of 2000, their their recent confession. Right, I mean, and, and this is and this is what you have to understand th- that they have made choices that are contrary to what their confessional standards are. Right. So wherever you fall on the question of things like women's ordination or critical race theory or things like that, this represents a move away from their confessional norms. Right. Right. And maybe maybe we'll just kind of take them one at a time here, and let's talk about uh, like the. The, the, the issue of, of who can be pastor in the SBC. Okay. Uh, this, this is something that's been happening for some time, but we are starting to see a movement within the SBC towards ordaining women. Yeah. And this really came to a head in May of this year when Rick Warren of Saddleback Church actually ordained three women in one of his churches and basically just said that there's nothing wrong with this, that it was just done kind of a, this is what we're doing now. And this is what, what was brought before the floor. Uh, one of the things that was brought before the floor at the Southern Baptist convention. Yeah. So, so now you have churches within that denomination openly rejecting what that denomination teaches about women pastors. And for that matter, what the Bible says too. Right. Um, early was it, or sorry, late last year, I believe it was uh, Beth Moore, who was mm-hmm. a notable Baptist, who left to become Episcopalian right. or Anglican, whichever once she officially joined. Right. Was, I've been ACNA for all I know, but went to join that denomination, possibly over reason of women's service in the church. Right. So they, they are drifting there. So yeah, in, I mean, technically in the Southern Baptist Convention, then you have women pastors now. Not Correct. officially denominationally, but among congregations within the Southern Baptist Convention. Right. Correct. Although there were some at the convention pushing to have Saddleback Church, Rick Warren's church, removed from the Southern Baptist Convention. But unfortunately, it was, I think it was basically stuck into like a study or they just decided to do nothing about it. Kind of a, a, I mean, they, they really just kind of kicked the can down the road on it which is troubling in itself. Yeah. In fact, the, the, the whole question of can women be pastors was something that came up at the convention and they decided they quoted, to, they needed to quote, study it further. Right. <laughs> and, and so, you know, Albert Moeller is going to get up and say things like, are we just going to get to a point where we're quibbling over every word? Right. Of the confession of the, of the Baptist faith and message or whatever, you know, why in the world do you think they wouldn't touch Rick Warren? I can't think of any reason. I can think of several million reasons, but <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah, I mean, it's it's all celebrity is a dangerous thing, and celebrity can make men think that they're untouchable, and so that's not a good place to find yourself. But he's always done his own thing, and they're not going to stop him. He's he's a powerful force, and with the current with the new leadership in, the likelihood of them actually removing him. Or, or Saddleback or something like that is, is highly unlikely. They had ran a couple of conservative, and I'm going to say confessional, for lack of a better term, Baptists for high office, and they lost. You know, Vadi lost, and then Tom Askell 
uh, is the Founders Movement still around? The Founders Movement in the Southern Baptist Convention was a return, meant to be a return to what the Founders uh, believed, namely a, a Calvinistic Doctrines of Grace style form of uh, Baptist theology. And, and he lost. And so he lost by a pretty handy margin on the second ballot. But it does mm-hmm. show you where the Southern Baptist Convention is drifting. So if Baptists, even in America, would have historically been Calvinistic and very conservative, they begin to drift toward Arminianism and an emphasis on free will and revivalism. And then here in our current day, they've drifted further from their historic positions. Right. And now we're really seeing it be made clear. Well, and and the thing to, to keep in mind with all of this too, this isn't, I mean, this isn't just like a this year kind of development. I mean, this is something that's been a long time in the making. But at the same time, we are now seeing an entire denomination like this, you know, formerly thought to be quite conservative for the lack of a better term, taking some very troubling kind of moves like this and doing so enthusiastically. We, yeah. are see- we are seeing a denomination being overturned from its historic roots. Yeah, and this is not a denomination where like somebody can just be named bishop and then the bishop can come in and completely change the diocese by putting who they want in. Right. Th- this is the people electing their representatives. Right, right. And so it, it really is a reflection of uh, where the wind is blowing among Baptist churches. Southern Baptist churches. Southern Baptist, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of other Baptist denominations, and this isn't about that. You know, there are, most of the other ones are much smaller than the, than the SBC. Right, right. Well, and, and the thing to, to keep in mind here, too, is that, you know, if this is the way that the wind is blowing among the Southern Baptists, it's a pretty good indication that this is the way that the wind is blowing across the board. And right. To be and, aware of that is what we're pointing at. Yeah, and I can feel for the founders style Baptists, you know, the Reformed Baptists. They don't like being called that, but it's our show. Um <laughs> but you know, the the ones who are holding to the doc the, the doctrines of grace, as they would say. Right. To see what all of your foundational theological writings are saying, and then to have nearly all of them jettisoned at this point. Right. At least soteriologically. Right. Like, I guess we're all still Trinitarian there, but, you know, how is man saved? What is the nature of man? And now, really, what is the nature of church? What is the nature of the office of the ministry? What is an elder, to put it more in Baptist terms? All of that is now being changed. And one wonders if, if you begin to deviate from a, a solid confession on the nature of man and on how salvation comes about, then the drift begins. Right, right. Now, we would disagree with a historic Baptist on the means of grace, for example. But we can agree that if you're talking about a, to a Calvinistic Baptist, doctrines of grace kind of guy, that man is depraved, born in sin, right. and that God must act on the heart in order to save man. Right. And that God will elect someone to salvation, things like that. Now, the other half of that coin we might disagree with, but you know, at least to the point of the nature of man and that salvation is a gift from God, we can shake hands at least on those two points. Disagreeing right. on how it comes. I mean, we would all agree it comes through preaching, but then get to baptism and we're not really quite the same. Or get to the Lord's <laughs> Supper and we're 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 fur we're pretty we're a fur piece off. So <laughs> um but yeah, to see to see that drift would have to be very disheartening for someone who grew up in a historic Baptist church, I would imagine. Well, and if and if we're not careful, and I think this is going to be the main message of this episode, we may very well see the same kind of drift happen in our denomination. Yes. We, we need to be aware of what's happening so that we are not caught off guard. Right. And that's why we are discussing this. It's not to dunk on the SBC and go, ha-ha, look at us. <laughs> it is to say... There before the grace of God go I. And we need to be we need to be careful about how we do theology, about how we present theology and teach theology, and about what theology uh, we are reading. Perhaps with that discernment. Sure. Well we gotta take our first break. We'll be right back with more word fitly spoken right after this.
Welcome back, everyone. You are listening to A Word Fitly Spoken. I'm Willie Grills here with Zalman Heine. We're talking about things going on in denominations in America, particularly the Southern Baptist Convention and what it might mean for Lutherans in America. Well, we touched on a few things uh, with the SBC, but now, Zalman, let's talk a little bit about the critical theory uh, stuff happening there and why that might be a concern. Yeah, one of the major events of the Southern Baptist Convention was the passing of a resolution, which more or less, I don't know how to describe it. If if it's not an unqualified support of, it's definitely in favor of critical theory, the use of critical theory, woke ideas within the Southern Baptist, basically saying like, these things are tools which we can use to overcome oppression, that sort of thing. So in other words, you have a denomination which is becoming infiltrated with the language of the the culture around it. Right. And I think that's very troubling. But I, I think it's very interesting how that resolution actually came about. Basically, the way it started, well, apparently, and I don't know have I don't have all the details. You might have to look this up on your own if you're more interested. But the way that this resolution started was a SBC pastor in California submitted a resolution to the convention, basically condemning uh, wokeness, condemning critical theory, condemning all of these things. But it came into the hands of one of the resolution committees of that convention, who then altered that to basically become a something in favor of it. They changed the wording entirely and basically just kind of gutted it and made it something else entirely. And it was interesting because when it was on the floor of the convention at the Southern Baptist Convention, the first thing that they tried to do was to run it through as an omnibus resolution, just kind of saying like, we don't have enough time, so we're just going to vote on all the remaining resolutions in this session altogether, basically just trying to railroad it in. That caused a stir it ended up becoming a point of discussion. There was an attempt by one of the, the, the conservative members, you know, I guess you could like say one of the more confessional Baptist members to alter it again on the floor to offer a friendly amendment, which was rejected. And then it was passed by a fairly substantial margin. And so you, you have a resolution within the SBC, like you said, which is very much, if, if not outright, you know, doing these things, saying that there's no issue with these things, and basically now becoming one of the resolutions of the entire denomination. So you basically had all of this railroaded into, although not without support, into the entire denomination. And here's the thing. Ravage American, whatever, or even Christian might even say, well, uh, well, that's what the people want. And that's what church is about. You give the people what they want. And that mm. that legitimately is, it's their church, they can do what they want. They're, it's not, though. It's Christ's church. You can't do what you want. Now, I'm not saying the Southern Baptist Convention is Christ's church, but I'm saying within the broad-speaking church of God, it is not a democracy. You don't get to vote on, on truth. And right. just because a majority wants something doesn't make it true, and it doesn't make it good. And that's the big thing. For, that's the danger to me in a, in a too democratic uh, form of government, a church government, is, uh, is that you will find yourself voting on doctrine. And once you've found yourself voting on doctrine, you are, you are sliding down the slippery slope. Right. And, th- and that's where you'll end up being. I mean, they will, they will probably end up having a vote on women's ordination eventually in the Southern Baptist Convention. And if the Bible, how do you how do you def, how do you explain that? And you wonder why people and kids and stuff are falling away. How do you explain that? This was the truth of Scripture today, and tomorrow it's not the truth of Scripture. Well, why? At least the Mormons, the Latter Day Saints, to their credit, will say because the Lord has revealed it to us that this is changing now. Now there's problems with that other theological problems, but it's a more respectable position than at least saying the Lord changed his mind is more respectable than going, well, we voted on it and decided it wasn't true anymore. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like at least mm-hmm. one party's going, I, at least claiming some kind of divine revelation. We might not believe it's a divine revelation, but at least they say it so much better than going, no, it, the Bible just, it was wrong. 
And they won't say that. They'll say we were wrong. Well, if you're wrong on that, what are you going to be wrong on tomorrow? If you're wrong on who can be a pastor and who can serve in the one divinely established office, then what are you wrong? What are you wrong about tomorrow? You're going to be wrong about um, the nature of the atonement. Are you going to be wrong about the nature of creation? You're going to be wrong about the nature of the Godhead now. Now, some would say that that approach is a humble approach that we should be willing to reevaluate and change based upon uh, new ideas and things like that. But whether we or an angel from heaven should preach another gospel, Zelwyn, why do people fall away? Many reasons. But I think one of the chief reasons in our age, of our age, that people fall away is that we have given them nothing permanent to hold on to. Everything is going to change within a generation because we believe that church is primarily a commodity to be marketed to people. Not marketed and sold. It's still pretty much free, but still marketed. So every generation, we must follow whatever is trendy and new and cool because X church down the street, you know, St. Spirit of the Age down the street is getting a bunch of people in. And so we need to follow what they're doing. And so we ape them. Never mind that in five to 10 years, that church will be half the size that it was. And the bigger church on the other side of the street from them will be following uh, the new thing. Right. Younger people are used to being advertised to, and they know an advertisement when they see one. And so they see something changing. Everything in their life is changing, and, and the world changes faster than it ever did. And we could give them something to hold on to, something with real roots, something that reaches back, not reaches back all the way to the apostles, all the way to the very beginning of creation, uh, which is the truth of the scriptures which is the good stuff handed down to us by our fathers, and in observing it, we honor our fathers and mothers. And yet, because of the spirit of the age, we, become, we too become confused and say, well, why, why, won't, why, why are kids rejecting this? Well, you know, he used to play with troll dolls, and now he doesn't play with troll dolls. The same, I, the same parent surprised by that is the one who is surprised that kids fall away when you turn church into something that is easily dated and easily uh, expired. Right, right. Well, and I think, too, when we're dealing with the issue of the spirit of the age, I mean, it's it's obvious that what is happening here is an attempt to be liked by the world. And I'm not yeah. saying that this is true of the entire denomination of the SBC, by no means. But, but we do see a movement within that denomination, which is certainly seeking the applause of men. I want to let me put a little bit of a best construction on that, because I do believe that a lot of these people are adopting these new measures and these new ideologies and things like that because they truly believe that this is a way to win people for Christ. That by right. throwing their ancestors under the bus and by repudiating who they are and by demonizing a significant chunk of the population and by embracing thing embracing people that they feel are marginalized, even though in many cases they're not uh, in the broader culture, but whatever the reason. They're adopting these things that will perhaps ultimately be harmful, but they're adopting them for the sake of reaching them for the gospel. But it ties back into what I'm saying. We've turned the gospel into something that needs to be sold rather than you know the power of God and the salvation. And, and so they, they want to reach people, and in trying to become all things to all people, they end up becoming the all people. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, and and I think it's important to remember, too, that the gospel, if it's preached correctly, is offensive. Yeah. People will hate it. <laughs> I mean, there's really no way around it. So the more we try to sugarcoat it, the more we try to make it palatable to the world, the further we are getting from the gospel. Now, that doesn't mean if you're generally uh, just a... And you know, an irascible person that you're necessarily <laughs> preaching the gospel, right? And you can you can be off-putting and still not preach the gospel. But yeah, in in the main sense, the world does not understand the gospel, and the world will reject the gospel and those who preach the gospel. Christians have really been cashing in on a cultural Christianity for a while, and now those who are trying to live as Christians sometimes find themselves on the outs, even with their other Christian friends. Right. And we just need to be ready to not, to not make friends with the world. The, the Baptists would look at Rome and say, oh, well, ever since the Roman Empire, the Roman Catholic Church has been making friends with emperors and things like that, and it's been to their detriment. We can debate that, you know, but but it's it's the same spirit, though, at work here. Right. In other denominations. 
Right. And so there is a need to be alert. There is a need to be awake to this sort of thing and to not give in to the same spirit, you know, in our own denomination, because I think it's certainly true that there are movements, even let's say within the Missouri Senate, just to be specific, mm-hmm. moving also in this direction. Yes. I don't, I would not say that they are as prominent yet within mm-hmm. Lutheranism as they are in the SBC. Maybe, maybe you disagree with me on that, but I think there is certainly a movement. We're drifting that way. They get put in prominent speaking positions. Well, fair enough. And they get, they get a lot of stuff, but it's also easy to advertise and easy to promote yourself now. But it, it does, it does tend to happen. Our, our denomination is in good shape insofar as our pastors are by and large, very faithful. Now, sometimes we want to put wedges where there shouldn't be wedges, in my opinion. Uh, sometimes we've taken things a little bit too far and said the guy not wearing a chasuble is somehow not a confessional Lutheran or something like that, and we know that's not true. The guys in Geneva gowns were every bit as confessional as you or I were. Right. Uh, even more so. You know, They're better men than we were. <laughs> uh, but yet we want to drive wedges where there shouldn't be wedges. And that's our really, that's our great danger in the Missouri Synod, I feel, is that the Bible and confessional believing pastors, I really do believe, outnumber the unfaithful. I can't speak to the laity because there's more laity than there are pastors. Right. You know, it's, what is it? Like roughly 6,000 clergymen and roughly 2 million laymen. So, you know, or members. So, uh, anyway, but uh, so sometimes these loud voices you know, really aren't representative, but you have to be careful because it it is strong men who make history. And if you have a strong man who is not on the side of the gospel and not on the side of the confessions, then his influence can grow among the people. But I I do think our clergy are, are by and large faithful. You know, they're, they're our brothers in arms. We should lift them up in prayer and we should, we should give them the benefit of the doubt, even if they cross their thumbs wrong when they're praying or whatever. You know, right, whatever, right. whatever, whatever wedge we want to drive to drive in there, but nevertheless, every convention we got to be careful because there will be something, or even a district convention, you know, pushing this thing, pushing this kind of stuff, and ever inching toward it. And not all districts are the same. Some districts are already very much involved in a lot of uh, the wokeness, as you would call it, mm-hmm. and a lot of that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And there are places where women are wearing stoles. And doing ministerial things, and you have professors who will look you in the eye and say, "No, that 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 is not happening. X is not a gateway to women's ordination." Well, you don't need women's ordination when you already allow women to functionally serve in things without any repercussions. And we shouldn't just beat up on women. Uh, that's not fair. When you allow men who shouldn't be serving to serve, it begins there. It sounds like we just want to keep women out of things. There are plenty of places that the women can serve, and women are essential in our churches. And I'm not saying that just to sound like a politician, but we have men serving in offices who shouldn't be there. Right. This is where the commenter goes, well, none of us should be here because we're all sinners. Yeah, absolutely. But there before the grace of God go I again. And yet it is what it is. And we are where we are. And you hold the office, I hold the office, and we've got to speak truth to power when we need to. <laughs> right. And, right. And, and so yeah, to answer your question, I, I do believe that the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod can be a great witness to the world. And I believe that most of our pastors are out there doing good and faithful work. And the best pastors we have, the most quote-unquote confessional pastors, are not the ones who have podcasts and not the ones who have big followings and not the ones who have people you know, running around following after them. Somewhere out there in our synod are diligent pastors doing the work of the ministry, loving their congregations, administering the sacraments according to the Lord's institution, preaching the gospel in its purity, and the Lord is seeing that, and they will be ahead of us in the kingdom. And so good work is being done out there. But it's like the lady who finds the lost coin. She sweeps her house. She lights a lamp in order to find it. And when she does find it, uh, she goes out and she and she uh, wants everybody to celebrate with her. So too, with the gospel, we must treat it that way. And with the truth of Scripture, we must also treat it that way and treat it as a precious treasure. Now, of course, in that parable, it's referring to the people who will be brought into the kingdom. But right. the people are brought into the kingdom by no less precious of a treasure, which is the gospel itself. And as we become too focused upon CRT or these, this question or that question, 
really become overtly political in the worldly sense. I do believe there's a, a godly place for politics. Um, but as we become too yoked to the world and her philosophies and her ideologies, we run the risk of losing the gospel and losing that great treasure. Yeah, no, absolutely. Amen to all of that. I just, and I, I think it's important to be aware of these things because sometimes I think, I think the reason why this stuff can creep in is for a couple of reasons. One, because of those who are actively pushing towards these things, which, you know, at this point are still relatively few, although they are vocal, but also because I think the majority of our pastors, even the very faithful ones, just simply, I don't know, I don't think they're aware of these things. You know what I mean? Yeah, they're not going to follow the Southern Baptist Convention because, I don't know, they think all Baptists are of the devil or something. I don't know. Uh, Because they don't care. And they'll follow Rome just so they can dunk on the Pope. But beyond that, yeah, a lot of guys don't really pay attention to this sort of thing. And on the one hand, maybe that's good. Maybe it's good to just be completely disconnected. But on the other hand, you have to know what your members are being exposed to. Right. And, you know, you, you don't have Concordia Publishing House brick and mortar stores around the country, but you've got Lifeway in a lot of places. Right. And Lifeway, the publishing arm of the Southern Baptist, is publishing pro-gay books now, which right. you, you would never see, or at least one, uh, which you would you never thought you would see in a denomination like the Southern Baptist. And some people out there will embrace that and say, that's a good thing. That's a, that's good. But for a faithful Baptist, that, that would present a problem. For a traditional Lutheran, that's going to present a problem too, because we believe that that is in conflict with the, the order that God has established. Right, right. And so, I mean, and I, I think like, for example, like if this were to come to a convention resolution, for example, would every pastor be able to articulate what is meant by things like wokeism or critical theory Yes, or, you know, so, I mean, and I think that's a lot. And to be quite fair, even to the Southern Baptists, that's probably why it got as much support as it did. Well, you know, I mean, (laughs) what's funny is you you, you back to go back to our critical theory episode. Did we ever get as much, you know, blowback as from any other episode? Never. Not once. (laughs) I mean, we we did get some, you know, even negative voices to that one. Yeah, that's Um, what I mean. Yeah, it was like random (laughs) phone calls and everything. Well, you're the one that gets phone calls, so. (laughs) That's my fault. I shouldn't answer. (laughs) But I mean, so, I mean, it is a need to be not only aware of what's happening around us, but also to be able to see these things for what they are. Yeah. Because we may find ourselves in a position if we are not diligent where we are basically SBC, you know, part two Lutheran boogaloo kind of a thing. And I think that would be a very, a very difficult thing for us to find ourselves in because we may, we may not even be sure how to get out again. Well, yeah. And when you run on a convention cycle, we want something's voted on, you know, (laughs) right. Right. It's law now. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Solo so, I mean, bylaws. That's, you know. Well, yeah. And our bylaws grow lo- longer every year. Right. But, but it's, so there is a need for just being alert, paying attention, keeping our eyes open, being aware of what these things are, because we don't want to find ourselves in the same place as the SBC at this point. That's, right. I mean, that's really kind of the, the main thrust of this section at least. So. Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, we don't need to be prideful in this. You do not need to be prideful and go, aha, at least I'm not like those Southern Baptists over there. Be very careful. Pride goeth before the fall, my friend. Indeed. We've got to take another break. We'll be right back with more Word Fitly Spoken after this.
Welcome back, everyone. You are listening to A Word Fitly Spoken. I'm Willie Grills here with Zelma Heidi talking about the Southern Baptist Convention, the state of the American church, the state of our church, what it all means, and why we need to be aware. So we, we really did talk a lot about the Southern Baptist Convention. We talked a little bit about the Missouri Synod. But let's take a look at a couple of other denominations uh, that are kind of you know relevant to this uh, discussion. So the elephant in the room is going to be the ELCA. That is, when people hear Lutheran, a lot of times in America, that's what they think of, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. Right. And how are they doing, Zelda? Uh... <laughs> Well, I mean, are we talking like in terms of membership? Are we talking in terms of theology? Because it's all pretty negative. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, they have embraced pretty much every doctrine contrary to Scripture that, that you can. Right. And and claiming, you know, truth in doing so. Right. And it's, it's distressing uh, for us as traditional Christians and as traditional Lutherans because we are lumped in with that. And so people get a very different understanding of our churches just because of that. Right. And that's what will happen to the Southern Baptist Convention eventually. You're not going to be able to, and really for a while, you've not really known what to expect from walking into a Baptist church. But you would be able to expect a few big doctrines present, but now who knows? Right. And so with the ELCA, essentially anything goes. I don't know what makes them particularly Lutheran at this point other than they do claim things like law and gospel and the catechism, but, but it's more a lip service kind of thing. Well, and I, and I do know that there are even pastors, especially the old guard pastors who probably aren't going along with a lot of this kind of stuff or who are very upset with, you know, what's happening within, within the LCA. But at the same time, I mean, we have a lot of these problems which we see happening even in places like here in North Dakota, because you you would think that North Dakota would just be a bastion of conservatism when it comes to these sort of things. But I do know of a church here, like in the state capital, ELCA, uh, who was very supportive of the recent Pride March at the at the Capitol. So I mean, it's not like this sort of stuff is distant or far off, or you know, it's just happening in you know the the coastal states. It's yeah. something that's happening within the heartland well, of America. Too. But that shows us, and I don't really believe at this point in time, it's the mainline denominations that are steering anything because nobody cares. Right. I mean, nobody cares what most churches say. Right. It is in these cases, the churches following where the people are going. Right. And it's kind of a symbiotic relationship because once, you know, the culture is going this way, then you're like, well, my church approves of it under the guise of love. And then boom, it's all. It's all there. And so it really, in more ways than we think, might be a reflection of broader American culture. You know, even 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 in even in rural North Dakota, you are seeing attitudes change about things that you wouldn't have you wouldn't have ever dreamed would happen ten right. years ago. Well, and especially because it's not just the pride thing, but everything that's happening, transgender, everything. Yeah. I mean, that's all being accepted, especially within the ELCA. Right. But and in the ELCA, I mean, you even have, you know, the idea of one true God being rejected. Right. Like, it's it's more fundamental than that. Or salvation being found in Christ alone being rejected. The nature of God is disputed in the ELCA. You know, what, once you get God wrong, you know, it's not looking too good after that. <laughs> and But then the, the love, the love of, a, of a church goes cold that way. You know, when you are, when you're a whole... When your version of charity is political lobbying, even if it's for welfare programs or whatever, um, that's not the same as personal charity. Right. When you're out marching, uh, you know, uh, in favor of Roe v. Wade, that's not the same thing as personal charity. That's just political action, and so the church becomes merely a political vessel on whichever side, and 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 it's ne- <laughs> you neglect things like to actually feed the poor. It's great that you want to advocate for policies that would take care of the poor. Now, please come help us at our food pantry on Monday nights. We would really like you to come help. Right. You know, we're giving actual food to actual people. Crisis Pregnancy Center actually helping. That's not the same as political action, but it is actual boots on the ground charity, being the hands and feet of Christ. But if you can say, I'm just part of a cause and a cause alone, then, oh man, you'll sleep really well. You'll feel so much better, right? I mean, give me a break. Come on. <laughs> well, and and something else to keep in mind here too, as you pointed out, 
whenever people hear Lutheran, especially when non-Lutherans hear Lutheran, they're not going to make the fine distinctions that we try to make between our two bodies. And so the influence which the ELCA has on us, whether we like it or not, is tremendous, if only in shaping public perception of who we are. Well, and you know, you live in North Dakota. People are used to Lutheran churches. There are large swaths of the country. Nobody sees a Lutheran church except for when they're on the news. And it's usually because the ELCA is doing something radical. All those Lutherans are at it again. Uh, Other other than that, they're like, okay, so are y'all Catholic or are y'all like a cult? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. That's a good way to think of it. I'm joking, but. Yeah. And so, you know, it is what it is. Well, that's the ELCA. If you want real Lutheranism, read the Catechism, read the Book of Concord, read the Bible, and you'll find it. Right. You know, seek out a faithful church, and you'll find it there. So on the other side of that would be the United Methodist Church, another significant denomination, although I would argue it's not as significant as it used to be. I don't know why this one bothers me more, maybe because of all the Methodists that first— evangelized Appalachia or something, but you hate to see what's happened to them, but they've had a unique situation where as they've embraced, you know, have they, as, as the United Methodist church has deviated from historic Christianity, they have now carved out an option to where churches that want to stay traditional and don't want to embrace say like homosexual marriage or something like that will be free to leave and keep their property. Mm-hmm. And that's really the first time a major denomination has experienced a split with that kind of amicable option. Now, it's not really started yet, but maybe it won't be as peaceful once it starts. Mm-hmm. But that's an interesting one. So in their denomination, a lot of times the diocese or maybe the UMC itself will hold the deed to the church property. And so it kind of like what happened with Machen and the Presbyterians in the 30s. Oh, yeah, you can go and be traditional Presbyterians if you want, but we're going to keep the property. And so right. Machen is out in North Dakota preaching on school buses and things like that. Nothing wrong with that. Kind of wholesome. Can't, can't Very wholesome with that. in its way, in its own <laughs> way. But um, it is nice that they're not just going to try to keep the property. You know, I, I would. it would be very interesting if we would actually see a, a resurgence in like just some Wesley-style Methodists. Like they're doing traditional liturgy, but they're out like preaching in the highways and the hedges. It would just be fun to see. I would like to see that. Uh, just to see it, just to, you know, just to say, say I, it. Yeah. just to say I saw it. <laughs> well, I mean, cause especially with like in the ALCA in particular, I think that's a reason why not as many churches have actually split from the ALCA for that very reason, because the synod, as they call it, you know, the local, the local organization holds on to the property kind of a thing. Yes. So, I mean, you can't just leave the ALCA without losing your church building and I understand that a lot, you know, I get it when people are attached to the building because, you know, that's that's where they've gone their whole life. I get it. But I mean, you see that sort of thing happening all the time. But with like with the Methodists, I mean, you are basically seeing the implosion of a mainline denomination, not just yes. hemorrhaging members, but actually imploding. And I and I really do think that what is it at least is it at least two, if not three denominations might actually come out from this division. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And they're going to be small. I mean, that's why the, but on the flip side of that, that's why the ELCA is so big. They didn't just grow that way as the ELCA. They were a late eighties merger of several other denominations. Right. Right. And so you got the opposite happening with the Methodists. The United Methodist church won't be nearly as large once they split into smaller denominations, but maybe that's the more honest way to go. We don't agree. Let's stop pretending that we do. We're not in fellowship. Let's stop pretending that we are. Sure. And for a denomination like the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, that's a that's a much deeper question for us because we hold to a very strict understanding of confessional subscription, the whole right. quia subscription thing. And some will say, well, things like the nature of creation and order of creation, that's not in the confession, so we're not bound to it. Like, well, when the confessions bind you to the scriptures, yes, you are. And yeah, the confessions don't directly speak to transgenderism or whatever because that wasn't even on the radar at the time that they're drafted. That does not negate what the scriptures have to say or or marriage or whatever. Insert whatever you want. 
Right. Uh, and so, you know, for us, it's, it's, it's a little bit trickier when, when you have a church that says we don't follow the book of Concord in this regard. Well, we can't be in fellowship with you, even though you have the same church name. Because if fellowship is just found in a corporate identity, I mean, like a legal entity or a name, that's not true Christian fellowship and unity. Unity is found in a common confession and and then and then from that a life lived out together in that confession. Uh, and we're not talking about like little differences here. We're talking about major differences. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, because, you know, we're not talking about receptionism and consecrationism, both of which are allowed, you know, <laughs> we're talking about, you know, we're talking about very large, large differences, the nature of the church, nature of God, the Holy Spirit and how he works, for example. Right. Even the nature of, of, of subscription himself, of itself is, uh, you know, is, is not a guarantee in our churches. And there was a time, yeah, where you could find pretty solid uniformity among the churches, and now you can't. Now, why does that creep in? Well, everything gets called an adiaphora, or, or they say, well, the local, the local custom is what matters. And while the confessions do speak to local customs, at the time that's drafted, local customs does not mean the great wide swath that we have today. <laughs> That that yeah, local customs in those times would literally be, you know, the the little quirks that they had picked up liturgically. Yeah, exactly. I mean, very small, very small details. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, a, a variance in readings, even or something like that. It's not it's not a big major difference like what we think, and really that does lead to a bit of confusion. If you have com- two completely different styles of worship within the same church, or within the, the same church body. You can say, well, it doesn't matter what worship looks like because we're still Lutheran. Okay, if you believe that, that's fine. I'm not totally on board with that, but it still communicates to the outside world that these things don't matter, that it's all about human preference, and that really, it's you know, Lutherans don't have a certain way in which they do things. If you're if you're teaching something that deviates, say, from the small catechism, uh, which would be you know our basic teaching document. Uh, for example, you bump into you know a Lutheran pastor who says that, and I've done, and this has happened, that Lutherans do not teach confession; that that is a that that is a Roman Catholic thing. This is a ordained Lutheran pastor, many years our senior, teaching people that that's a Catholic thing that we don't teach confession, literally in the small catechism, and <laughs> literally talking about private confession, mind you. But you do bump into that sort of thing, and that creeps out there. Uh, right. That will be a problem. And so then you get a pastor who comes in and teaches the catechism and people go, well, well I've never heard of this. Well, right. yeah. that's, that's evidence of division where, where it should not be. Right. Exactly. And maybe I'm off base, but no, I, I, I think, <laughs> I think you make a good point. I mean, the divisions within even our church body are not something that we need to just ignore or to point fingers at these mm-hmm. other denominations and say, haha, we're not like you yeah. kind of a thing. And again, I, mean, I want to be very clear that I'm talking about major differences though. I, right. We because this is where the confessional movement will fail if we're not careful. We really want to eat our own. Right. And we want to throw our, our fathers under the bus and things like that. We don't need to do that. And I'm talking about men from three generations ago and, and further back. We're you know, we don't want to throw them all under the bus. And we don't want to throw Luther under the bus. We don't want to throw our brother pastors under the bus, but where there are major differences that are deviating. We're, and we're not talking about true adiaphorans here. Um, we are talking about major differences. And I don't mean adiaphora as a, as a weasel word to say I can do what I want. But we can't condemn someone for things indifferent. We can't say that they're substandard or whatever. But there are, there are times where worship goes too far and it does become subconfessional. That's a fact. And there, but more, but but more to the point, uh, there are times where people are neg- are not just ignorant of doctrines within the Book of Concord, but pastors who are openly rejecting doctrines within the Book of Concord. Right, right. Well, and especially in the interest of, like, let's say this this worship, you know, worship differences, or in the interest of appearing more like something else, or making it into well, something else. I mean. And that, that completes, does happen. And, and that completes the circle. We see the big Baptist church, the Southern Baptist church has 16 million members. 
let's be like them so we can get some of those 16 million. Well, once you start teaching Lutheran doctrine, people either embrace it or they'll go back to the Baptist church. Right. <laughs> and, you know, we don't try that with other stuff. I mean, maybe with Rome, but I think we should do that because we'd be a good fit. But, uh, <laughs> but we, but yeah, you know, uh, but I, I kid, but only a little bit. Uh, I mean, we're baptizing babies here. I don't know what, what's going to appeal to the Baptists in that. Right. Right. But, and again, not beating up on them or anything because, you know, we will find ourselves that way when we just try to follow after whatever, whatever we think is pragmatic. And I believe that that is the root of a lot of these doctrinal decisions that big denominations are making. It's pragmatism. It's, we want to reach people, the most people with the gospel. So if we, if we embrace things they like, they will come to believe. And that just is not the case. Right. Right. Lauren, any last words before we talk about the next season? Well, and really is just a, a call for us to just to, like I say, to be alert, be awake, pay attention to these things. Don't hold yourself up in saying, you know, that will never happen to me because I'm sure, you know, these, you know, these denominations for the most part, I'm not going to say all of them, but for the most part, you know, there was a point in time when things were better, but because, you know, things changed slowly over time and one thing led to another, that's where they found themselves today. And we will go down the same path if we are not careful. So this is a call for us to, you know, humble ourselves, to pay attention and to keep our eyes open so that we don't make the same mistakes. Amen. All right, so we're closing out the season now. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in August with a lot of new things coming up, stuff you're going to love. We will reconvene a conclave uh, probably at the beginning of the season, assuming we can get everyone together right. uh, in one digital space. So we'll be soliciting for conclave questions uh, in the near future. That's one of, that's one of my favorite things that we do. Uh, sure. The only thing that slows us down is bandwidth when we try to record a conclave. <laughs> so what else do we have coming up? What's fun? Uh, Adam will be with us. David will be back. Maybe we'll get Bukes in. Aaron Uphoff is alive, and we will get him back here one day. <laughs> I know we're going to have uh, Ben Uledalen come in again to talk about some issues. He had a, a topic he wants to cover, you know, and and covering some of the, you know, continuing some of our series, you know, talking more about Revelation because David and I need to get through that eventually. I mean, we're getting there. We're right. getting there. Uh, I'll finally, and, I'll do the Mormon theology episode one day, uh, or just do four more hours on the prophet Joseph. Who knows? Who knows what we'll do? <laughs> talk about Daniel some more. Talk about current events some more. I mean, it, there's a lot of things going on. And uh, if you have any suggestions for us, I mean, we're always open to them. I'm not going to say that, you know, that we'll just take whatever comes. But if you do have something, please let us know. You know, we'll certainly take it into consideration. We enjoy doing this, and we, we look forward to continuing interacting with all of you. So, right. Word Fitly Nation is the best nation. We appreciate all of our fans. Um, we appreciate any you know you sharing this with your friends and family. We hope that it is a good resource for them. In the meantime, go back and listen to the old episodes. Uh, find some reruns if you want. We've got some we've got some wild ones in there, some real bangers. So you know, be sure to check those out if you haven't. Uh, listen to them before. On behalf of all the Word Fitly crew, uh, we certainly thank you uh, for for listening. So we will be back uh, in the very near future with more. This has been a Word Fitly Spoken. If you like what you heard and want to know more, check us out wordfitlyspoken.org, facebook.com slash wordfitly, or Twitter at wordfitly. Before I leave, we are working on fixing the website. We know it's a little bit broken. We'll get on that too, folks. So God love you and God bless. Consider him. If our gaze is in the wrong place, our feet will be in the wrong place. Ian Paisley